Well, good evening, good evening, good evening. Welcome to this week's CDTV. Yeah. I hope you've had a good day. I have, uh, I have wrestled so much today with coming to you, sharing my heart, um, just pouring out. Most people are trying to survive in the lockdown and I am learning to thrive in a crisis. Praise God, I am seeing God do incredible things amazing things and uh, I am so excited for what the future holds as we transition through this and then transition throughout it and transition out of it completely. God is going to do some incredible things. I believe with all of my heart that uh, church has changed for good. We won't ever do church the way that we used to, but uh, that's a good thing. You know, sometimes we got to shift with the times and and do some good things, praise God. But um, what was I going to tell you then? Oh yeah, so I've wrestled so much in the last 24 hours with what I was going to come and share with you from what I felt was being said by the Holy Spirit to my spirit. We find a very, very unique passage of Scripture in the Gospel of John that later in the Scripture, Jesus institutes the thing that he talks about in the synagogue. And uh, I want to go to the Gospel of John. John is my favorite of the Gospels. It also is the, uh, the Gospel that houses my favorite passage of Scripture, John 15, where he says, uh, um, for you did not call, for I no longer call you servants, but I call you friend because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. Uh, and he goes on to say, you know, um, that uh, we should love one another. No greater, no greater love hath any man than to lay down his life for his friends. And uh, I think that's incredible. Uh, that whole passage of scripture, even John one, if 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 uh, my my uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. My father is the vine dresser. If you abide in me and my word abide in you, oh, there's a whole, I mean, I could preach all night just on John 15. That's my single favorite chapter of the Gospels, John 15. I've preached more sermons on John 15 than anything else in my life. And uh, I, I, I'm taking you on a journey we don't want to go to. A little bit earlier in the Gospel of John, let's go to John chapter 6. Starting at verse 47, I'm going to read a lengthy passage of Scripture, and there's a reason I want to read that to you, because um, the last 24 hours uh, um, in the Spirit have been very difficult for me, and there's a reason for it. I've questioned a lot of things about my own personal devotion in the last 24 hours. Even 90 minutes ago, two hours ago before this broadcast started, uh, uh, I was sitting outside the back of the house, staring out at the, at the garden, watching the dog play. And I was going through a, a mind battle with the enemy of our faith, trying to convince me that what I do is not worthwhile, that, that uh, you know, I shouldn't bother doing the live streams or, or doing the podcast or anything of that nature. But I realize that when the enemy begins to speak to you like that, it's because you're onto something and he wants to get you to stop. Uh, sometimes it's God telling you to slow down, telling you to slop, but, oh, stop, slop, stop. And we have to know the difference. The scripture says, my sheep know my voice and another they will not follow. So we have to know the difference between the voice of God and the voice of the enemy. And quite often it's confusing because they sound very similar. 
but you know through intimacy of relationship who is speaking. And that's the key. You can have twins speak to you and they sound identical, but it is in the intimacy of a relationship that you have with one that you may not have with another that you identify who is speaking and you know the voice that you can trust. Same with God, same with us, same with the Holy Spirit in our relationship. Our intimacy with Him determines our ability to know the voice that is speaking. And when the enemy comes in trying to convince you this is the Spirit of God speaking, you immediately identify this is not the Spirit of God. This is the Spirit of the enemy trying to convince me I'm something I'm not or I'm doing something I shouldn't. And it, it, when you know that 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 you're in the will of God and doing the right thing and the Holy Spirit is behind what you're doing, you immediately know the enemy is trying to get you off course for a reason. And he did it to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Tried to get him. He did it to Jesus in the wilderness. Tried to get him off of God's purpose and God's plan for a reason. I've said that to say this. John 6, starting at verse 47, we're going to read through, through to verse 60 and then jump a few verses to 68 and 69. Please follow along with me. I read from the King James. I'm going somewhere with this. I want you to follow because this is hugely important. And I'll explain why after we've, we've read the word. Verily, verily, verse 47. I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. For I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and, and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread. Imagine that. I am the living bread. Which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of this world. This is powerful scripture, folks. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have, ye have no life in you. Remember that phrase. Ye have no life in you. For whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath, uh, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. For he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. So, we're going through the scripture, we're going through the gospel of John. Here we have Jesus telling us that we must eat the, eat the, the flesh, drink the blood, the body and the, the cup of the new covenant that he will institute on at the, the Last Supper, as we now call it, at the Passover feast, the Eucharist. Now, I, I don't talk about Holy Communion, so you need to, to get on board with me. I'm old-fashioned Anglican background, become a Pentecostal, and I still reference the Eucharist, the giving of thanks. There is something to me in the Eucharistic feast which we miss in the church today. And, uh, and this is why I want to share this with you. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The living bread. Same passage of scripture. I am the bread of life. He goes on to say, I am the living bread. Jesus Christ is the living bread of life. Ooh. Has, uh, verse 57. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he 
shall live by me. Remember, just a few verses before this, Jesus says, If you do not eat the flesh and drink the blood, ye have, King James, ye have no life in you. Now here he is telling us that in verse 57, So for, for as I live by the Father, he that eateth me, the blood and the flesh, the bread, the wine that becomes the Eucharistic feast we celebrate, even he shall live by me. So the life that we live, the life that is in us when we come to the Eucharist, when we come to receiving the body and the blood of our Lord, becomes the very life of Christ within us. We live by the life of Christ, and Christ lives by the life of the Father. So until we are partakers of the body, until we are partakers of the blood, the life that we have in us is life, but it is not life eternal. And the life that we have us is not life by Christ, for in us there is no life. Verse 59. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Just for the record, I've been to that synagogue in Capernaum. I've, it's an incredible place. It's a stone's throw from Peter's house. You'd be amazed at how close it is. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? What they mean is, this is difficult for us to comprehend. Who, now that the King James says here, the Greek translation references who can understand what he is saying. And Jesus turns to the disciples and asks them a couple of questions. And in verse 68 and verse 69, Peter offers to me what is one of the most overlooked and incredible statements of faith given up in the Gospels. And I, I don't think I've ever heard a preacher preach on it. Yet something happens in the life of Peter that must happen in all of us for us to understand the life that is in the body and the life that is in the blood. And this is what Peter says. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? In, 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 in modern vernacular, Lord, we ain't going nowhere. Where are we going to go? For thou hast the words of eternal life. Jesus, ain't nobody preaching what you're preaching. But I know that what you're speaking are the words of eternal life. And he says this, And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we believe and we are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That, right there, in taking the body, in taking the blood, Peter 
has not even come to the point when he would be the recipient of the Eucharistic feast that Jesus offers the disciples on the night that he is to be betrayed. Yet, Peter understands, not by reason, but by the Spirit, what Christ is indeed saying, and he understands what is about to come, what is, what is to come in day's future from where they are. I, I think this is, this to me is just a, a truly incredible passage of Scripture because it teaches us very simply that for you and I to have life eternal, that not only must we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, not only must we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, not only must we desire to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, Go ye therefore, teach all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we must understand that for us to, uh, to, to receive life eternal, we must appropriate the life that is in Christ into us. When we come to the Eucharist, when we come to the Lord's Supper, whatever terminology you use for it, the reason that we come to the sacred table, the reason that we come to the holy altar to partake of the body and the blood is because in that, now get this with me, right? In that, there is a constant nourishing of the soul that happens only in Christ. Let me say that again. There is a constant nourishing of the soul that only happens in Christ. What does the scripture say? What does it profit, profit of the man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Yet the soul of us, the soul of mankind, is continually nourished by being in Christ. And a, a few weeks ago, I talked about what it meant to be in Christ. If you missed that, go back through the, the streams or the podcast and, and you'll see what it means to be in Christ. But we must remain in Christ and we, 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 cannot, we cannot approach the communion anymore. We cannot approach the Eucharist in the way in which we have, where it has been for me in my experiences, it has been both haphazard, almost dishonorable in the way in which we, we deal with bringing the church body to the body of the church. I, I hope you're following me. Jesus gave his body for the life of the church. This is my body which is broken for you. And the body of the church it being the people, we must begin to, all of us, approach the body, uh, 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 the, the body of the church in holiness, in righteousness, as a solemn assembly, being the church body. Maybe it's because of my background that I see the necessity for, for the Eucharist, for Holy Communion, different to how I 
how I know it to be as a Pentecostal and as charismatic as an evangelical. And because of that, I'm very much aware that my approach to communion is different. Uh, there is a reverence that I place on the sacrament of communion, on the elements of communion, that many in, in our world, in our Pentecostal, charismatic, evangelical world, and I, I categorize all three because we never quite know which we are, but in that, in that trifecta of, of uh, church, um, I struggle with the, the, the concept that the body and the blood as we receive it, the bread and the grape juice, is just a commemorative act. Jesus said this, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, covenant which will be shed for you. Take this and drink of it. As oft as you do, do this in remembrance of me. Now, to me, that is not when we do it, we do it as an act of remembrance, so it's purely a commemorative act. There are three different ilks within the, the concepts of Holy Communion, okay? So there's the traditional church, the institutional church, that they consider, that they talk about being transubstantial, that the body and the blood literally become the body and the blood through the transubstantiation of Christ being present in the Eucharist, in the communion. Then there is the, the train of thought called consubstantial, I'm trying to teach you a little bit here tonight, uh, uh, consubstantial is the belief that Christ is with us in the Eucharist, in the communion. The Holy Spirit brings Christ to us in it, yet it still remains bread and, and wine. And then there's the commemorative act that it's just an act of remembrance, that, you know, it's still bread, it's still wine or grape juice, whatever you use. And there's nothing that changes, but we do this as if we were reenacting what Jesus said. My difficulty with that is... Um, if we take on board the, 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 the sonship of Christ being joint heirs, sons and joint heirs in the kingdom, if we take that to ourselves, and for those of us in ministry, if we own our priesthood, then um, when I quote Jesus directly, when I say the words that Jesus said, when I say the words that God said for that matter, the same power exists in my saying it and the same results happen in my saying it as would be if God himself, Christ himself had spoken it when I'm in that moment of consecration to the Father. When I'm flowing by the Spirit of God, or, or I shouldn't say flowing by the Spirit of God, when, I'm, when, I am, when I am exhibiting the ministry of the priesthood by the Spirit of God, and it, I cannot for me, I cannot wrap my mind around the fact that this is just bread and wine and it's a commemorative thing that we do. That's my personal belief, okay? I'm not saying everybody should believe that, uh, but I'm, that's because of my upbringing and my understanding of the Eucharist. I, I have a different approach to it um, and uh, I'm very, very um, careful about how I come to the Lord's Supper simply because the Bible says that if we don't I'll paraphrase it, but if we don't do it with the right heart, the right spirit, that we eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. So I, I reverence the holy altar. I reverence the altar of God, and I reverence coming to the Eucharistic feast because to me it's Christ in it. It, it, it. There's more than just bread and wine on a table. So there is a life. Now we learned this way back in Genesis. There is a life in the blood. 
And when we are partakers of that life, it is that life that becomes the eternal life in us, but it is that life that we appropriate to ourselves. And in doing so, what we are doing is we are drawing on the life and partaking in the healing that happens through the body, through the blood, in the Eucharist. There's a, a well-known fact, and um, uh, I know it was popularized within Pentecostalism, charismatic churches, evangelical churches, by, uh, by Pastor Benny Hinn, who brought attention to the fact that there are more Roman Catholics being healed during the Eucharist than there are Pentecostals being healed in all of our healing crusades and healing services. There is a reason for that. Because in the receiving of the Eucharist, in receiving of the body and the blood, we are drawing on the life that is therein and drawing from the healing of Christ that, that dwells within the Eucharist, that dwells within communion. The understanding of what I'm trying to teach you is that the eating of the flesh and the drinking of the blood is not literally, as many try to make out, an act of cannibalism. It is a spiritual understanding that must take place. Ooh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm bouncing all over my notes here tonight. I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I've just dropped my notebook. Oh yes, so we have the we, we we've got to get to this understanding, this this um this uh, spiritual understanding that the expressions that Christ uses in saying this is my body broken for you, this is my blood which is shed for you, these point us to are precursors of the violence that will take place in the sacrificial act, the breaking of his skin with the scourge, with the whip, the beatings that took place, the, the sacrifice would not be an easy sacrifice. Now, saying that, right, when we take bread and wine, there's two interesting elements that I, I'm not going to go into in this teaching because they, they're separate teachings on their own, and we, we may well come to that. But there is a, there's something I want you to understand that way back in Genesis, bread and wine are used in the sacrificial offerings. And here Jesus in, in John uh, institutes, because I'm reading from the Gospel of John, Jesus institutes the, the, um, the Eucharist using a thanksgiving offering. Eucharist simply means to give thanks. Bread and wine used as a sacrificial offering of thanksgiving to the Creator, same thing with Jesus. Yet, in John 6, when he's talking about receiving his body, receiving his blood, he's speaking of it in such a way that is pointing us, as I said, to the violence that will take place in the sacrificial act for us to receive. The kingdom of God suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. That's us. Apply this to the Eucharist. The Son of God would suffer violence. And the violent, being Christ, took the world by force. Literally wrenched it from the hands of the enemy, the one who had entered the earth illegally, 
because the only entrance point into the earth, according to God, is through the womb of a woman. Satan had come into the world illegally, taken authority in the world illegally, and in one sacrificial act, the living embodiment of that which he spoke about both in John 6 and at the, and at the Last Supper in the institution, instituting of the Eucharist, Jesus forcibly takes back. See, there's more to it than we understand. There's more than just bread and wine. There's more than, than just going to church, saying a few words, remembering what he did. This is not just about understanding or, or reenacting the fact that Jesus died, that he bled on the cross of Calvary, that, that in his blood was our healing. In the breaking of his body was our redemption. There's more to it than that. There is a spiritual aspect as well. There is, a, there is an understanding that we take the blood, what we now use, the bread, the, the wine, the grape juice, whatever it is. We take the blood into us for the life that is in the blood to become the life that is in us. What did Jesus say in John 6? If you do not eat my flesh and do not drink my blood, you have no life in you. We understand from, from Genesis when God spoke to Cain asking about his brother Abel, he said his blood cries out from the ground. There is a life, there is a language that is in the blood that we have to understand. And, and that language is a language of the Spirit. It is the life in the blood communicating with the life giver, the life creator. It is a language that we will never know because the blood speaks to the Father himself. We must understand that in shedding his blood, carrying it to the holy altar of heaven, that the blood was shed for God and shed on us. Let me say that again. We have to understand that in the, in the carrying of his blood sacrifice to the holy altar of heaven, to the high altar of God, that the blood was shed for God as a sacrificial offering, but it is, it is shed on us. Jesus never shed his blood for mankind. He shed his blood for the Father, for the sacrificial offering, but it is shed upon us in the redemptive act. That's why I get really knocked off when I hear people talking about pleading the blood over their broken down car or whatever it is because you're too cheap to save and buy a new one or you won't get the one that you've got in good condition because you don't look after it properly. And we throw this term around about pleading the blood so, so, so freely and so um, if we truly understood the precious blood the, the life that was in the blood, if we truly understood the power that was in the blood, that is in the blood, we would not throw it around like it meant nothing. And we have got to start coming back to a place where we take the holy altar of God, where we take the sacrifice of the Christ, His Son, seriously, where we put it in holy reverence, where we start fearing God in it, because of the life that is in this precious blood, that is in the broken body. 
The, the, the verbiage, the language he uses, as I was saying, points to the violence that, uh, uh, and the sacrifice that he would go through, that the, the, the sacrificial death that he would suffer. And because of that, there is a necessity for us as believers that we partake in the benefits of his death. I am a partaker in the death of Christ by receiving the life that comes through his death that I need not die myself. Let me stop for a second. You may need a healing in your life right now. There may be something spiritual, physical, emotional, maybe even financial that you need God to really touch in your life. And we're running around looking for, for people, pastors to pray with, you know, I... <laughs> I know people that literally used to go from crusade meeting to crusade meeting trying to get the preacher to, to lay hands on them because he had anointing for healing or or an, a, a grace for this and a grace for that. And yes, I, I'm not decrying any of that because these are incredible men of God that have the, the evidence that they have communed with God is so apparent. But there is a healing that takes place in the blood. That when we are partakers in the Eucharist, in the communion feast, that we take the life that is in the blood into us. And if we do not partake, there is, as Christ said, no life in us. It is not a necessity of salvation to be a partaker in the Eucharist. It is not a necessity of salvation to receive communion. You don't go to hell because you've not received the body and the blood. You've not been a partaker in the Eucharistic feast. You've not benefited in the death that brings the life. But it does teach that there is a very vital importance of communion in the strengthening of our souls. There is a vital importance in the communion that is the strengthening of our souls because it is in the communion, it is in the Eucharist, that Christ himself nourishes our soul. It is in the communion, it is in the Eucharist that we see healing. Not just the healing that was attained on Calvary, but the healing power that is in and always has been in the blood. Remember, it is not the cross of Calvary that heals. It is the blood that was shed on Calvary that is the healing. And it is in the communion that we find the strength to bear witness to our faith. Just like Peter, understanding by the Spirit, where am I going to go, God? Who am I going to go to? You have the words of eternal life. What Peter was saying is, I don't understand what it is you're saying or how I'm going to do what you're saying, but I believe by faith that I can partake, that I can receive. I believe by faith because you have spoken the words of eternal life. So I would argue that the Eucharist is the source and the summit of our Christian faith, of our Christian life. Because it is, it is the culmination of, of two things. It is both the culmination of God's work in sanctifying 
humanity back to him in sanctifying the world through that that act of the shedding of the blood, the breaking of the body. It is him sanctifying the world in Christ. And it is also the worship that men offer to God, to Christ, and in Christ, so that in turn we offer our worship to the Father by the Holy Spirit. I heard it put this way once, and I want to quote this directly for you, so I hope you get it. It says, in brief, the Eucharist, communion, the body and the blood, is the sum and the summary of our faith. Our way of thinking is attuned to the Eucharist, and the Eucharist, in turn, confirms our way of thinking. Our way of thinking is attuned to the Eucharist. When we take in the life that is in Christ, in the blood, in the body, when we take that into us, the life that is in that becomes the life in us, and it changes the life that we live without us. So what is happening, with, we, we have Christ within so that the, the manifestation happens without. And what we think in the Eucharist, what we, what we understand in the Eucharist is a shift of our humanity, our human nature, our, our sin consciousness, whatever you want to call it, to become Christ-likeness. And that Christ-likeness becomes the new way of thinking. It is basically, in a very modern 21st century way of saying it, it is the new operating system that clears out all of the bugs and all of the viruses to make you function in the way in which the Creator designed you to function. We find that in the Eucharist. I really do understand that for some of us, even as believers, the cross and the Eucharist, the cross and the communion are stumbling blocks because we don't understand what is being said, what is, what is happening to us, in us, with us, for us in both of these elements. But what we, we need to understand is that what happens at the cross, what happens in the Eucharist, what happens in communion, cannot be understood by reason. It can only be understood by a spiritual awareness, a revealing of the Holy Spirit to your heart, to your spirit, that of the life that is therein, of the healing that is therein. You cannot work it out by reason alone. You must understand Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. So there is a life in the blood <clears throat> that only comes from a life in the spirit. Let, let me close with this, okay? Let, let me close with this on this particular topic. Let's go back to verses 68 and 69, what Peter says. So Peter responds with, you know, Lord, where am I going to go? Who else has got the words of eternal life? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What Peter is saying is this. It is by faith that I choose to believe what you're saying. 
it is by faith that I choose to believe what you are saying. Peter chooses to trust what Christ has told him. And in trusting him, Peter is able to receive the living Christ as pertaining to eternal life. We come to the Eucharist. We come to communion. We come to the body and the blood of our Lord. And we come deciding to trust and by faith partaking, by faith receiving, by faith inheriting. But if we do not make the decision to trust, because it's a, remember, it's a decision. It is a decision to trust because everything that we know as pertaining to the cross of Calvary, everything that we know as pertaining to the communion, the Eucharist, goes against everything our intellect tells us to believe. And we must become alive to the Spirit of Christ than being in, uh, being, becoming alive in choosing to trust in Him, in choosing to trust and receive that we become partakers and beneficiaries of the death that brings life, of the death that brings healing, of taking into us a, don't like the New Age term, but I'll use it, a Christ consciousness that does not exist until we have received the body and the blood of the living Christ, of the living Jesus, of our living Lord, that we will again look to the life and the healing that is in the blood, the blood that was shed for God and spread on us. And in doing so, we will take our focus off the external elements of changing our life, of changing our patterns of behavior, of changing how we choose to live, of changing our faith. And we will turn our attention to the heart within us, that in the heart within us, we would allow Christ to minister to us and we would take his life into us that the life that is in the body, the life that is in the blood, becomes the nourishment of our soul and the change that causes a human heart to completely renew, to take on the new life. That we would shift from an old covenant mentality. I'm not talking about Old Testament. I'm talking about old covenant of the church mentality and come back to God in communion, come back to God at the Eucharist, that we might be recipients, that we might be partakers, that we might be saved, sanctified, set free, healed, delivered by the death that brought us life.